Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, happy new year to everybody out there. Yeah, brand new 2019. Yeah, it's going to be a great year. And uh, we have a great show. Speaking of great. We have good stuff today. We do. We're going to start off here talking about the stock market volatility. Yeah, 2018 was a challenging year, right? It was a challenging year, but we're pretty optimistic about 2019. Yeah, 2019, you know, that when you look at volatility, Steve, we, we see the statistics. Um, historically, one out of four years has been negative. So when it happens, it, it seems like it surprises folks, but it's it's part of the process. In order to get higher returns... Uh, you got to stay invested. We've got a really good topic about uh, three things that you can do after all of this volatility. Um, and if you view this as an opportunity, it can really turn out historically pretty good for you. That's right. And it is a great opportunity, great time to be adding money to your portfolio. In fact, I mean, you know, when else can you get into the market whenever it's 10 or 15 percent down? So, you know, it's a good opportunity there. So that'll be a great topic. We're also going to talk about Five steps for achieving your New Year's goals. We talked last week about kind of how to set up your New Year's goals, how to get ready for them. But now it's time to actually set some goals. So we're going to talk about how to make sure those goals are achievable and how you have success in setting your New Year's goals. But we're going to start off here, though. Um, well, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Also, a lot of videos, a lot of calculators and tools out there, chock full of uh, information for you. Also have a uh, Facebook page. We post a uh, weekly uh, post on there, a video of folks here in the office, primarily Steve and I, but we also get other folks involved. And we have a Twitter handle as well, MoneyMD. Um, so check us out. Absolutely. And also email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. All right. Well, now we're ready for the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the S&P Global Organization and uh, not a real positive fact. I'm sorry for starting out on the on a negative here, but 30 of 50 U.S. states do not have sufficient reserves set aside today to absorb the financial impact of an economic recession. Uh, it would force them to raise taxes, fees, or maybe reduce benefits. And so the takeaway here is, Steve, when you look back at history, um, markets and economies go through really good times and they go through really challenging times. So when things are going well in your world, set some aside, right? Um, Plan for a rainy day, have an emergency fund, try to pay off debt Um, because markets do sometimes go down, as we've talked about, and also the economic, your economic situation may change. So you've got to reserve some. These states need to do the same things. When times are going well, set some aside. Yeah, the government's not a great example of that, unfortunately, (laughs) but um, yeah, you do have to prepare for that, and there may be higher taxes in the future as a result of states being unprepared, but you're right, personally, you have to take some steps, and that's what we're going to talk about with goal setting and, you know, looking to the future and planning accordingly, Um, so you have to plan for the future and have an emergency fund and have money set aside and, and be constantly working toward 
that future that you envision. So anyway, good financial fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic. Um, three things you can do after the historic stock market volatility we experienced last year. Yeah, this uh, comes from Edelman Financial Engines. Uh, really good kind of overview of, of the markets. And uh, if you look at you know the, the past week, um, there's been one for the record books on Christmas Eve. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell by about 650 points. It's down about 2%, and uh, all 30 stocks in that index fell. So it didn't matter what you owned, everything went down. And then, you know, it's really rare for stocks to fall on Christmas Eve, um, particularly to that degree. Usually investors want to go into Christmas in a good mood, but, you know, this year investors were, were bah humbugs basically on Christmas Eve. But of course, um, the stock market was closed on Christmas, and um, the day after Christmas, the Dow shot up a thousand points. I mean, it skyrocketed about five percent. It was an exact mirror opposite uh, of Christmas Eve. You know, the day before, all thirty stocks fell. Well, on the day after Christmas, all thirty stocks rose, and that day was the best day for the stock market in ten years. In fact, it was the best day following Christmas ever. Right. So, yeah, it had a pretty good four days, I think, after Christmas, you know, to the end of the year. So it did. Helped. It did. Mm-hmm. And so while you were putting the finishes t- touches on Christmas, you know, the Dow was falling 650 points. Um, did anybody sell? I mean, did you sell when the markets were low only to discover that the sky, the markets had skyrocketed, you know, the day after Christmas? And, you know, the the day after that holiday, all the indexes did well, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ. Um, they all gained at least 4%. That's the first time that had happened since 2011. So, you know, it, the the week of Christmas was very um, volatile. And really, the, the month of December has been very volatile as well. Yeah, it was a historic December for sure. And even all of last year, I mean, was unusual. We had, you know, a, a correction. We started the year with a correction and then really ended the year with a bear market. So, mm-hmm. It's it's been an unusual year to say the least, um, but amid all that volatility, you know the economy seems to be doing just fine. You know, although housing, you could point to housing and say housing has weakened, but you know aside from that, there's not a lot of economic justification to support the kind of ridiculous volatility that the markets have been seeing uh, this past year. So I mean, but here are a few examples of the recent economic data that's been out there. Retail sales climbed 5% over last year, um, well, in 2018 over 2017. Good consumers spent $850 billion um, in just the last five weeks of the year. Uh, it was the strongest holiday shopping season in six years. Insiders were buying at the highest level since 2011. So insiders are buying their own stock because mm-hmm. they're very optimistic about what's happening with their with their companies. Um, the Global Purchasing Manager Index was at 52, which is a very high reading. And the S&P 500 profits were growing at 12% last year. Um, so, you know, it's it's been very, very strong. I mean, the, yeah. the economic conditions really were were good. Yeah, corporations are making a huge amount of money. I mean, based on the economic data in 2019, the profits from the companies in the S&P 500 could hit a record. And even though corporate America is making more money than ever, the the price-to-earnings ratio, which is just a value of 
how the market sits. It's now 9% less than it has been on average since 2009. In other words, stocks are cheap relative to the profits that companies are earning. And uh, this is a complete conundrum when you look at the performance of the markets. There's just a disconnect uh, when you look at the data versus how the markets have done. And what's even more perplexing is that for the first 11 months of the year, net inflows to mutual funds and ETFs were 62% less than they were a year ago. And this is according to data from the Investment Company Company Institute. Uh, the, this company tracks the flows of, of mutual funds in the, the ETF world. Um, and Steve, that's kind of not the way to do it, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> remarkable, isn't it? How people want to add money when prices are high, but they want to take, they want to not add money or take money out when prices are low. It's the exact opposite that what you would do if you were shopping for anything else. Yeah, right. You know, you'd be looking for a bargain. Um, so, you know, you'd buy when prices were low and they were on sale, but that's not the way it works in the stock market. Yeah, in other words, 2017, when the market was doing fine, investors were happy to add money to the market. But in 2018, when markets were doing poorly and prices were down, they were far less uh, willing to add money. And they were adding far less money. Um, so it's perplexing because last year, I mean, stock prices were high. And it's it's as if some investors would rather buy when prices are high and, and sit out whenever prices are low. So it's not what you want to do. Obviously, what you want to do is you want to buy low and sell high, not buy high and sell low. Yeah, we look at statistics. Uh, DFA is a mutual fund company that we use, and they showed a really cool graph back in 08 to, to 2012. And the mutual fund industry as a whole, um, $500 billion went out of the market Folks that use DFA like us uh, trended upwards. We steadily increased adding money, adding yeah. money when markets are down. So that's one of the the values that we feel like we we add is um, some perspective on this. So three things you can do, um, you know, with your own assets if you're managing them, or you know, you're you're looking uh, at your 401k, or you know, just kind of trying to figure out your situation. The first is. And we preach this a lot, diversification. And you hear the Dave Ramseys of the world talk about this all the time. No one knows what's going to happen next. And because of that, you don't want to make any bets on one sector. So we don't try to predict whether stocks or bonds are going to make money. We don't make predictions on real estate or precious metals, commodities, foreign securities, government securities. We simply invest in in most of those. In fact, you know, instead of trying to, to choose a stock, we own a basket of, of stocks around the world. Uh, we try to you know buy a lot of stocks uh, across many countries, a lot of asset classes, a lot of market sectors, because you don't know what's going to happen. And with diversification, uh, don't really care what happens uh, next month, uh, tomorrow, or even next year. And the reason is, is that if you invest a dollar historically, um, you, you could lose that dollar if you invested in individual stock. Um, if you're invested in mutual funds, historically, it, it gives you a little bit better opportunity to to uh, to gain without as much volatility. And that dollar can become two, three, four, eight, sixteen. 16. I mean, the gains can, can be unlimited if you keep it in invested over the ups and the downs of the market. Exactly. That's right. And the second thing that we do is we focus on the long term. You know, instead of getting fixated <clears throat> on what happened in 2017 or 2018, or folks intently on what's going to happen, you know, this year, um, let's look out, you know, 10 years, you know, let's look to, t t to 2029 or 2039. Um, look out in the future. There's a good chance that you're going to be around and, you know, you really have that time horizon to plan for. But whatever your time horizon is, look to that point 
don't look, you know, short term to the next year or two. And, you know, that's why you need to pay attention to the long term tenure, you know, results of the market, because that's really what counts is what is the market going to do over the next you know, five, 10 years out. Yeah. And so that's a question. That's a basic fundamental question. If you think the market's going to be higher than where it is today in, in, you know, five, 10, 20 years, you should be able to invest with a high degree of confidence. Um, but make no mistake between now and then markets are going to rise, markets are going to fall. Um, but in the long run, it won't matter. And, um, that's why we maintain focus on, uh, on the long term. That's why we do planning associated. That's why we have some bonds in the portfolios that we can, you know, do some rebalancing with or distribute income with. So, um, you know, this isn't our first rodeo and advisors out there understand statistics. Dave Ramsey understands the data. Markets do go down periodically and you can actually use them to your advantage. Absolutely. <clears throat> yep. That volatility actually helps when you're, when you're doing the kind of management that we're doing. In fact, you know, one of the keys is the third thing that we do is rebalancing. And so because prices will fluctuate, like we've seen recently, I mean, this can often result in one asset rising faster than others, and one asset might fall sharply. <clears throat> so we will rebalance the portfolio to retain the asset allocation diversification we have. And, you know, that way you end up buying a little bit of what's low and selling a little bit of what's high. It's a disciplined way to make you, you know, buy low, sell high, which you know you're supposed to do. And that way you're buying more shares. Whenever you're rebalancing, you're buying more shares of the assets that are down. It actually helps your return over time, increases your return, you know, a little bit. And it keeps you in the right allocation, keeps you in the right risk level. So, you know, that's that's a very important part of the process. Yeah. So if you don't know how to rebalance your portfolio or, you know, maintain a long-term focus or even how to build a diversified portfolio – you may need some help with a financial advisor. And um, most financial advisors out there don't try to time the market. No one can predict the market. Um, but you got to have a process in place that when the markets go down, what are you going to do? In our case, we like buying things low. We like adding shares to, to folks that are growing their portfolio. If you're in retirement and you have bonds and you need a distribution, you just pull it out of the bond side of it. So you got to have a process in place to handle these dips. Um, 2018 certainly was unusual from its volatility, particularly in December, but you know, you can, you can use this to your advantage. You just got to maintain some focus long-term and, and um, again, the, the planning and, and making sure you're diversified is key in that. Absolutely. So great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is a kind of a, de a technical question. It's uh, pretty detailed. And this person says, I've heard about shorting, a stock, but not sure what that means and should I be doing it? And first of all, the answer is no, you should not be doing it. You're basically wanting the stock to go down. So uh, a shorting a stock means that you borrow shares of stock from an owner and you immediately sell them and you're hoping the stock tanks and you can buy that stock back at a cheaper price, pay back the lender with the shares that you borrowed and you keep the extra cash. So it's a very negative uh, view of a particular stock if you're in an industry that's not doing well. Sears would be an example. People may be shorting that stock. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a very speculative move. Though. Very much. It is very speculative. Very risky. There's no limit to how much you can risk. And in, in fact, because when you short a stock, if the stock turns on you and goes up, if you don't sell it back, I mean, it, there's no limit to how much you might owe mm -hmm. to buy that stock back to close that short. It position. is very risky. So you, you never want to do anything like that. It's, it's extremely speculative. 
Um, you know, you need to diversify. Whenever markets get volatile and, and start going through down periods like we've been through, people start looking for solutions and they think they have to take more risk and they have to do these speculative moves of timing the market or shorting stocks or stock options and and things that, that really make no sense whatsoever. So you want to avoid that at all costs. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500 going back, you know, 80 or 90 years, it's averaged about 10%. And that's with all these dips that we've had back in the, the tech bubble in 2008 and so forth. So um, you don't have to get real wild and crazy to make a good return as long as you stay invested. We'll say past performance doesn't guarantee future results, right? But if you look back and understand history a little bit, it helps you get through some of these challenging times. Exactly. So, yeah, good question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is the five steps for achieving your New Year's goals. This is based on an article out of U.S. News and World Report, um, Trent Ham, a while back here. And uh, But, you know, I mean, financial goals, John, in the New Year's resolutions are similar to your new diet plan for losing weight every January. How'd you know I had one? Well, yeah, just just had a guess. I mean. I, I have one every single January, <clears throat> okay. so I just assume most people, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. I every have one. single January. But you know, I mean, there are a lot of ways to lose weight. Um, it's hard. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, that's why most people don't achieve their weight goals. However, there are some things you can do to greatly in, in, increase your odds with your, you know, weight loss goals as well as with your financial goals. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, I mean, we all know when you talk about losing weight, that if you get rid of every sign of sweets or fattening food in the house and you have a better chance then of sticking to your diet. Um, we also know that if you have some accountability built in to the diet with someone else that you're maybe weighing in with every day, then your odds multiply, right? Yeah. So some ways to do that is, you know, exercise routine, have a pre-scheduled workout session, maybe with a, a good friend or a personal trainer four times a week. Chances are you'll be too embarrassed to break those appointments and chances are you're going to lose weight because you're not breaking the appointments and you're exercising. And then if you pay for those expensive prepackaged me- meals that you're getting um, that arrive every single week, you'll probably eat those instead of fixing your own own dinner or going out to dinner for that matter. So if you position yourself with enough incentive and accountability, losing weight is certainly a lot easier. The same principles apply to achieving your financial goals. If you set yourself up for success, you'll have a lot better chances of making it happen and it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. And we're not suggesting, by the way, you go out and spend a lot of money on some expensive diet plan. No. Um, but the point is there are there are ways you can increase your odds of being successful with that goal of losing weight. And the same thing applies to your financial, um, your financial goals. I mean, all of us have financial dreams, right? We'd like to be completely free of debt, maybe retire early. Um, we'd like to build our, our dream home maybe, and, you know, pay for our kids college education at a top school. Maybe you'd like to open your own business. The challenging part though, is transforming those financial dreams into financial goals and then actually achieving them. And of course, you know, taking something so enormous and nebulous and turning it into something that you can actually achieve in a specific time frame is hard. Um, It's not easy for everyone, even the people who achieve their goals. However, there are some ways to greatly increase your odds and your, your, your chance of achieving your financial goals and to make them less painful in the process. 
So regardless of your specific goal, here are five steps that you can make um, that you can take to drastically increase your chances of success. Yeah, the first one here is create a detailed but a flexible plan. So ask yourself, how exactly are you going to get from where you are today to where you want to be? And what's the time frame that you desire to achieve that goal? And what do you have to achieve each year to make it? Um, you know, what do you have to do? And do you have to do it each month, each day, each week? But get detailed, but have some flexibility built in. That's right. So your plan for achieving your goal should involve clear answers to these questions. Um, you know, and at the same time, uh, it should allow for some flexibility as you never quite know what the future is going to hold for you. So naturally, major life changes might upend a financial goal. But, you know, many goals actually ended by, you know, can be ended by minor life issues if you don't plan for them appropriately. So your entire plan shouldn't fall apart if you struggle to make one step of the plan. So instead, your plan should have some wiggle room to account for things that can happen. Um, so let's say your goal is to retire early and to live, um, retire early to live comfortably, you know, and have enough, obviously, to do that. So you need to specify what that means. Maybe at age 60, you know, with $100,000 of income would be your goal. But it's also important for you to break it down in further to define where the income will come from. So maybe 50000 from pension, maybe another 50000 from your investments until Social Security kicks in at age 62. Um, you know, having enough details and some flexibility is a key ingredient to your success. So break it down into bite-sized pieces to know exactly what the specific pieces of your goal will be. Yeah. So that's, that's one be detailed flexibility. And then the second one here is add a healthy dose of reality to your goal and break it down into bite-sized portions. And the best thing you can do to make sure that you, you do that is base it in reality. Quite often people establish savings goals and other goals that are simply outside the realm of what can easily be achieved. I mean, someone who's living paycheck to paycheck isn't suddenly going to be debt-free in a year um, necessarily, unless they sell some stuff. Maybe there's some other options, but they can get started, and you have some bite-sized goals to hit that, and you can get out of debt. It may take you longer than 12, 12 months. It may take you three years, but you at least you know are walking towards that process. That's right. And instead, I mean, look, you know, look at what you can realistically pull off. I mean, if you're setting a goal to become, you know, debt-free in five years. Can you realistically come up with one sixtieth of that amount each month? Um, so if you have three credit cards you're trying to pay off, figure out how long it's going to take you to pay off the smallest one by focusing on it. And then, you know, make that your first bite <clears throat> and then add that payment to the next biggest balance. Figure out how long it's going to take you to pay that that one off. And then you start snowballing those and you start adding those payments together and it builds up. And, you you know, you you have a plan, then a solid plan to reach your goal. And if your goal, though, isn't realistic in the short term, it won't be realistic in the long term. So make sure you set realistic goals as well and you break it down in those bite-sized pieces. The next one here, though, is to set small, measurable milestones. Um, in fact, you know, focusing on shorter time frames is a powerful way to achieve a financial goal. So let's say your goal is to save $50,000 for seed money for a business. So rather than setting such a large number as your goal, after, say, five years, 
break it down into smaller milestones. So your goal is maybe to save $10,000 this year. So that means your goal is to save $800 this month or maybe $175 this week. So break it down into bite-sized pieces, um, into small measurable milestones. And when you break your goal down in these small pieces with milestones, the day-to-day actions you need to achieve those goals becomes very clear. And it's easier to figure out how to save $175 a week rather than saving $50,000 over the next, say, five years. Yeah, I like that. And then once you have that you know, broken down, you got to automate it. Automate the entire plan. Set up automatic savings transfers at your bank. That transfers at $175 per week to a savings account. And doing this serves two purposes. First, it looks um, it locks you into that plan, and it moves you towards your goal without having to make active decisions along the way. And second, it puts you in a position where you can focus on dealing with how to live after making room for your goal, not trying to decide whether to make room for it. So it, automate it. So that's, a, that's probably the, the best invention in investing is being able to automate every single month putting money in either investing or savings and, um, you know, getting your goals. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the most powerful tool you can use is automation. It's just like sticking to a diet plan by having those prepackaged meals, um, you know, or having it, having yourself default for success. That's really it. Then your chances aren't going to, you know, that are that you're not going to stop saving. Um, Better yet, you know, automate the increases every year to your 401k. So it increases maybe by 1% of your pay each year. That's a great way to automate your goal. Um, The last step here, though, is to keep it out of easy reach. You know, once your savings begins, it can be very tempting to tap in that money for other purposes. But there should be no way for you to access that money immediately um, because of an impulse decision, um, you know, so that will undermine your goal. So... What you should not be able to do is access your money by an ATM card, for example. Um, You have to make it harder than that. So instead, you know, save your money in a remote institution. Um, You know, the decision of whether to use a savings account at a bank or an investment account with an advisor is up to you. But your savings for your your goal shouldn't sit in a place where you can just grab it at a whim. You know, I mean, that's what emergency fund is for, is money to have readily available, not your long-term money. So, but having an advisor can help as well. You know, I've heard a lot of clients say that they don't take money out of their account because they, you know, they they feel like there's some accountability there and they don't really want to uh, call up and, and, you know, breach that, Mm -hmm. that, that barrier, you know, so accountability is a huge motivator. Um, Taken together, these steps though can help guide you toward most any financial goal that you can imagine. Um, and you know, that's, uh, all that's needed is the dream and the commitment and you can reach your financial goals here for this year. So that's the steps for achieving your new year's financial goals. And that leads up here to our last one, uh, which also relates to your goals. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. This kind of sums up that, that article a little bit, but when you're setting goals, um, there's an acronym called SMART. So that's be, be specific, um, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So it's kind of like what the $50,000 for a startup business loan, you had five years, you wanted 50,000. That's a specific, um, you, you know, being realistic, 175 per week is what you broke it down into. So that, you know, it depends on what you make, but that, that 
potentially could be realistic. So you just want to be smart about it. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So that's the prescription. Yeah, I love that acronym, (laughs) SMART. Um, You know, that's a great way to remember exactly what you need to do with any goal for that matter. Mm -hmm. So not just your New Year's goals, but specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Great prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.